Welcome to Tell Me More, a podcast series featuring distinguished visitors to Tufts University who share their ideas, discuss their work, and shed light on important topics of the day. Deke Sharon, often called the father of contemporary a cappella, has made it his life's work to bring vocals-only music to the masses. As director of the Tufts ensemble The Beelzebubs in the early 1990s, his experimental take on a Peter Gabriel song with voices standing in for instruments inspired a new era in a cappella performance. Sharon has also helped popularize a cappella through movies like Pitch Perfect. Television and even Broadway. Earlier this year, Sharon was back at Tufts for a residency where he coached nine singing groups, culminating in a first-of-its-kind all-Tufts a cappella concert. In between rehearsals, he sat down with Julie Flaherty to talk about his career and his mission to create harmony through harmony. Let's listen in. So acapella has had some really high-profile moments in the last decade, and not coincidentally, you've been involved in all of them. (laughs) Uh, You did the vocal arrangements for all three Pitch Perfect movies, including Pitch Perfect 2, which was the highest-grossing musical comedy of all time. Uh, You were executive producer, coach, and music arranger on the NBC singing competition show The Sing-Off, which made stars of the group The Pentatonics. And then a couple of years ago, just for fun, you did the arrangements for the very first a cappella musical on Broadway, mm-hmm. uh, a show called In Transit. Uh, so you have a, uh, a good perspective on is a cappella more popular than it's ever been? <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, it is uh, more popular than it has been in the past, I'm going to say, 100 years. But the bottom line is a cappella was at the core of all human expression in prehistoric times. Before people spoke, they almost certainly sang. And like birds and crickets and whales, there there was communication between people before we had language, before we had writing. And then throughout human history, traditions all around the world have at their core, musical traditions have at their core a cappella. So you can go to South Africa, you can go to, to Taiwan, you can go to Native Americans or in South America, and there's an a cappella tradition, a tradition of singing that's at the core of their own music. And even throughout Western music in the year 1000, Guido D'Arezzo created our five-line staff to notate a cappella, to notate Gregorian chant. And if you think about sea shanties and you think about barbershop music and you think about original gospel and southern gospel and and, uh, doo-wop music. And I mean, there's just so many different traditions of a cappella that have persisted and, and alongside human culture and along musical tradition. It's just recently in the past hundred years or maybe 80 years that uh, communal singing has dropped off and a cappella disappeared for a while. So I'm just trying to get it back to where it was. So what are the signs that it's popular now? I mean, are more people uh, it's a number forming of articles. groups? People Magazine is really all we're looking at for people. No, I'm <laughs> kidding. Um, number of groups, uh, that's that's a definite marker. And uh, the college acapella scene started 100 years ago, a little more, with the whiff and poofs at Yale. And it trickled through the Ivy Leagues and some other schools in the area, like Tufts, which I understand was invited to be an Ivy and chose not to, which I very much like. <laughs> uh, and... Um, and by the time I came onto the scene in the middle of the 80s into the early 90s and sang in the Tufts Beelzebubs, there were about 200, maybe 250 college acapella groups out there. Uh, now we have 3,000. 
Wow. That I know of. It mm-hmm. could be 3,500. It could be 4,000. They're growing so quickly. And that's just the college groups. The number of high school programs that have moved to being acapella groups uh, or contemporary acapella groups from being vocal jazz or show choir or classical choral or all these different styles or at least are embracing it. And now middle school groups are doing it. And you're seeing all these pro groups out there. Uh, Pentatonix is a great example. They've got more followers on YouTube than Beyonce. And they fill stadiums now. So you and I went to college at about the same time. And when I was in college, there was this stigma. And I, I say this with all affection. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, bring it on. <laughs> the stigma around acapella, basically that it's, it's, it's kind of geeky and the people who do it take it a little too seriously. So, so is that stigma gone or, or have people just embraced that geekiness? Ooh, uh, I think a little bit of both. Obviously, when you have huge movies and television series and you know rock stars at the top of the charts that are singing a cappella, it can't be all that nerdy. But I think also culture has embraced the nerd. Um, in the 1980s, there was you know Revenge of the Nerds and this whole idea that like either you're cool or you're a nerd. There's no combination. And uh, slowly over time. People have realized, like, the nerds are ruling the earth. You know, Bill Gates and Steve Jobs and, and all the cool kids in high school are now trying to get gigs at Google, right? Like, uh, so it's, nerddom is, is really a measure of how much somebody is deeply committed to and in love with a particular topic. So there are, like, comic book nerds and there are computer science nerds and engineering and, and acapella. Um, but being deeply in love with something is no longer nearly the stigma that it used to be. And I have a friend who is who's involved in acapella, and he says he goes to competitions now, and there'll be, you know, beautiful women dressed to the nines, you know, strutting around like they're Beyonce. So there's definitely, and you know, there's choreography involved in in routines now, oh, yeah. and it's just much more, I guess, glamorous than. Well, than it was yeah, and, and it's not like acapella is all of a sudden for the first time. Like I said, in human history being exciting. Barbershop music was the contemporary acapella of its day 100 years ago. 50 years ago, doo-wop was huge in all the street corners from D.C. up to Boston. You'd have people singing under a street lamp, singing, looking for an echo down in the, in the subway. And that was super cool. So acapella is not just nerdy college kids anymore. We're getting back to it being the people's music, which is what it should be. So let's talk about uh, how you got to be called the the father of contemporary a cappella. You've been singing in front of audiences since you were five and in a church choir. And then then you were touring with a different group at age nine. Is that right? Yeah, the San Francisco Boys Chorus. Yeah, Yeah, I joined that and and, uh, was the youngest member. So I was this tiny little toehead in the corner. And the other kids were older and bigger than me and kind of interested in girls. And I had no interest whatsoever. (laughs) So I'd like at the opera, turned over or whatever with uh, Pavarotti. They'd all be flirting with the girls' chorus girls. And I'd be sitting in it on the fourth floor in a big costume trunk reading Encyclopedia Brown. (laughs) (laughs) As you should have been. As I should have been. And then in high school, I believe it was the the music man. And uh, being the the head of the barbershop quartet in that. That introduced you to the joys of 
four-part harmony. I fell in love with barbershop. It's such a tremendous, fantastic vocal style, and it's 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 tough. <laughs> um, and so the I was the lead in the barbershop quartet, which doesn't necessarily mean you're in charge of it, although I was. Uh, it's the lead is the second tenor part. the The melody is sung there, and the tenor is above, and the baritone and bass are below. Uh-huh. And that barbershop quartet was such a fun experience that even though we were done with the musical at the end of my freshman year, I just kept it going all, all four years and started to learn to arrange um, as a result of the fact that I wanted to sing other music other than barbershop. I wanted to do a Beatles tune. I wanted to do Queen Bohemian Rhapsody. So I just got out some notation paper and figured out how to arrange out of necessity. And then uh, you you came to Tufts as an undergrad in part because you could study at the New England Conservatory, Correct. which you did, and get a liberal arts education. A at great Tufts. liberal arts education, yes. But it was mostly because you wanted to join the storied <laughs> Tufts a cappella group, the Beelzebubs, right? True. That is correct. They all were very uh, high on my list of things that I wanted to do. I wanted a true conservatory experience. I wanted a great liberal arts education. And I really wanted to be in the Beelzebubs. I wanted to go to Beelzebub University. Roll up. Roll up to the Magical Mystery Tour. Step right this way. And so you tried out, and they were like, oh, thank God you have come. They just they just embraced you right away, right? I wish it were so easy. I had to audition for the group three times. Oh, my God. I was arranging. I uh, knew my voice. I'd been singing since I was young. I'd been on stage a ton. And I, was, like, I felt like my whole life and career were like leading up to this moment. And I went into that audition guns blazing, expecting everyone there to have perfect pitch. And I just wanted to show them that I knew my voice and I, I could sight sing perfectly and all this kind of stuff. And I honestly scared them away. They called me overzealous. They were like worried this kid's like way too into this thing. And it was funny because back then the bubs were the rock stars on campus more than the football team, more than anything. And yet there was kind of this this tone within the group like, well, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm in the bubs and I, you know, you know, I love this thing, but like, I don't really like acapella. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, I'm cooler than that kind of a thing. So to have someone come in and be like, no, acapella is awesome, I think was a little off-putting to them, honestly. <laughs> and I had to audition a second time, and I convinced my roommate at the time. I moved in the arts house, um, and he was also in the WB program. I convinced him to join. He was like, I don't know if I really want to do this. And he got in, and I didn't <laughs> because still they were so – they were like, this kid's still way too into it. So – but you know, if you audition more than three times, you don't get in. They're never going to tell you. They like it was clear. So for my third audition, I was like, what am I going to do to get in this group? And I said, I got to pretend like I don't care. <laughs> so I walked in the door and they were like, so Deke, um, what song do you want to sing? And I was like, I don't know. What do you want me to sing? And they're like, you mean you didn't pre- prepare a solo? I was like, no, it's, but you just pick a song and I'll sing it. Like the whole time I just act like I didn't <laughs> care. And uh, they took me and then I became music director. <laughs> <laughs> so, so. But it's a great story. So, so what's what's the moral there? Is the moral oh, the uh, you got to be cool to get where you, what you want? Well, or? the moral is persistence. I think that's what mm-hmm. I teach my children. It's what I teach uh, so many students that I end up working with. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think in our culture, there's such a sense of of focusing and and uh, you know knowing what you're good at and 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 then you know don't do the other stuff, right? I I think that people who really want something need to keep going for it. And I'll have people say like, I want to go to Tufts University, but I don't know if I'll get in with my grades. I'm like, oh, okay. So if you don't get in the first time, reapply. And they're like, but 
but you know, but but if they don't take me, I was like, right. So if you you really want to go to Tufts? Yes. More than any place else? Yes. I'm like, good. Then apply again, <laughs> and maybe go and study some classes at the Sorbonne, or go to University of Sydney and learn more stuff, and travel the world, and and continue to study, and then you go back to Tufts. Maybe you show up every month in the admissions department office, and you. You check in again and you say like, hi, I'm still here. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That that kind of persistence is at the core of so many success stories. And I just hope people take it to heart. Mm-hmm. So uh, you persisted. And then when you did get in, you proceeded to change acapella forever. Um, <laughs> forever and for, ever. Forever and ever. And I, it wasn't the point. I didn't intend to. I mean, I was glad that I did. But no, I just wanted to sing the latest hits on the radio. And um, back then, acapella was still very shooby doo kind of late doo-wop style. And I wanted to do Led Zeppelin and Pink Floyd and all these songs you couldn't do. Um, and it was actually the song In Your Eyes that uh, after seeing Say Anything, I bought the CD at Tower Records, brought it back to my room, and... I just couldn't make it work with with traditional vowels and syllables, so I treated the entire thing like an orchestral score, and I did an eleven part arrangement for a group that normally sang in four or five parts. I didn't even have voice parts next to it. I put guys' names. Five of them were doing different percussion sounds with their mouths—a shaker, like a and a talking drum, with hi hats. And I taught other guys how to be like synthesizers with their mouths and like doing all these overtones and they were like dude what are you doing like they were like you're nuts i was like can we just try it can we just try it and we sang it that weekend up in maine and the audience went ballistic and i was like oh maybe this maybe i'm onto something and uh that was what my senior year was and the album that we made that year foster street in 1991 after just two months of selling it sold something like five thousand copies just at local college concerts and stuff like that which was which was unheard of and so i was like i have lightning in a bottle and i want people to have these wonderful experiences singing that i did so i went and started the contemporary acapella society of america and my group the house jacks and the national championship of college acapella and the best of college acapella recording albums and (laughs) newsletters and and festivals and and everyone laughed at me and they were like my even my choral director my high school choral director the person you think would be most supportive of, of a career in vocal music literally told other people he's like it's like deke's trying to make a career out of professional tiddlywinks <laughs> it's like it's this little like snotty ivy league style tradition and no one's going to be interested in that thing um but somehow it worked and out. yeah now look um okay so so sell me on acapella um you know what makes it special you know i i mean i like instruments instruments are great oh, me little too. guitar me little too drum. i cook and i Put on Bossa Nova, you know what I mean? And I listen to classic rock in the car. Like, no, it's there's nothing wrong with instruments and and music, recorded music, uh, which is largely responsible for the fact that music doesn't exist in school so much anymore because we don't have to make the music ourselves. Um, is a beautiful, wonderful, wonderful thing. But human culture was born on the back of the interconnectedness between small tribes of people, and it's been studied by sociologists and whatever. Like, we were in hunter-gatherer groups or in small little units of 50 people or fewer. And um, every day at the end of the hunt, at the end of the harvest, whatever, we'd gather around and we would sing. We would raise our voices together. Acapella is a part of the human DNA like it is for various other creatures in the animal kingdom. Um, And we have lost that. So I'm hoping to give other people that experience and, and spread what I call harmony through harmony. Our society is deeply bifurcated. People don't know their neighbors. After a long day at work, they plop down on the couch and they sit in front of a screen and either they just street Netflix or they go online and they just start typing angry responses in in chat groups. And they feel this disconnectedness to other people and to society. And 
I have the answer. We have the, it's not, it's free. It's easy. <laughs> I mean, it takes some time. You have to learn how to sing, but you can join the local church choir. You can join the local community choir. You can get together with some friends and sing Christmas carols during the holidays. Like there's so many different ways in which you can sing, but people are afraid to, and they think they're tone deaf and they're not tone deaf. There are only like three tone deaf people on the planet. They're just inexperienced in the same way that if someone had never seen a basketball before, they'd never really picked it up and spent any time shooting free throws, they'd be terrible at it. Our vocal cords are just muscles and everybody is able to sing. We've just lost it as a culture. So so yet this philosophy you have, this um, harmony through harmony, um, the idea is that if, you know, if people sing together in groups, they'll be better people. They'll, they'll learn teamwork. They'll Much learn better. self-reliance. Yes. Um, they'll, um, be, you know, they'll meet people and get to know people that they maybe wouldn't have known otherwise. And so my, my, my question is, how is that any different than you know, being on a soccer team together or doing a group project in school together or something? How, well, how is this special? There's something incredibly powerful about the connectedness of the human voice. And there's a reason that people don't play soccer in church. They sing in church, right? There's a reason that, that at, the, at the core of so many religious ceremonies and so many social ceremonies that people sing together, be it you know, a patriotic song or take me out to the ball game. Like this. And you, you see those huge soccer matches, right? Even at soccer, what do they do in the stands? They sing. They chant their team song. And there's this incredible power of voices lifted together in song. Um, there can be a lot of lessons that it can be taught uh, in other ways. The thing is, when you're playing sports, in the end, if you win or you lose, the balance of power in the universe, nothing has changed. But if you're in an audience and you sing, first of all, you do it well, you always win. And second of all, you can reach people in a deeply powerful emotional way. Maybe it's a 12-year-old girl who's feeling bullied and doesn't have friends and and you convince her to join choir. And it's been proven. Kids who sing in school, they get higher grades. They have a built-in social network. They're bullied less. They stay in school longer. They end up being more successful long-term. You know, suicide rates are down. The whole thing, like it is literally a life-changing experience. And I've also had people come up to me who say things like, I just lost my husband and I have not left home for six months and I've not been able to feel joy until tonight. And that gift that we can give other people through our voices is so deeply powerful. Um, and and when I was in the bubs, like there were a lot of guys in the group, like I never would have been friends with. They never like, you know, I was this, like music and theater nerd who's living downhill and the guys in the frats and the computer science guys. Like I just never would have hung out with them. But the power of diversity that we that we tout so much and we try to teach so much is rarely reflected and exemplified in a more powerful way than in an acapella group where you need people with high voices and low voices. You need people with powerful, rich, rocky voices and light, fluty boy choir voices. And the more diversity you have in a group, the more you're able to do with that group. And the Pitch Perfect movies definitely reflect that. You see it on the sing-off as well. Like you want the different colors and personalities. That's why Pentatonics is so great. Five very different people with different voices that are constantly changing and morphing and breathing new life into the songs. So you've put a lot of energy into figuring out how to replicate instruments with the human voice. <laughs> and you actually even, uh, I think online, people can go and learn yes. how to make these some of these sounds. Can you can you entertain us with a few? Sure. I'll give you a few different sounds. Um, here's a regular trumpet. And a muted trumpet. 
and uh, trombone, uh, flute, uh, electric guitar, uh, harmonica, um, and so on. Yeah. And then, of course, people are all very familiar with, with vocal percussion, which back when uh, I was experimenting with it and, and added first the Beelzebubs and then the House Jacks, the rock band I started right out of college. It was the first rock band without instruments, first group with a designated vocal percussionist. It was very different from beatboxing in the early days. Beatboxing back then was like, huh, stick a stick, a stick a huh, huh, like the, the fat boys. Like it was this, it was this like fun, playful, rhythmic vocalism that, 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 uh, that worked well with rap music. But you couldn't have put that behind In Your Eyes or Cashmere by Led Zeppelin or Comfortably Numb. Like vocal percussion is about imitating the sound. Of instruments, which is why that clean hi hat that that'll happen, or the the kind of more rock snare that sound is used in vocal percussion, whereas in beatboxing you get much more that kind of a sound, that that kind of a side sticker, that electronic sounding snare. You worked on all the Pitch Perfect movies, mm-hmm. uh, coaching many voices on screen and off screen, including stars like Anna Kendrick and Rebel Wilson. Um, so tell me some of the juicy behind-the-scenes stuff that everyone <laughs> that should, should know. know. Well, there's one there's one important piece of information, which is there's another Tufts grad that worked right alongside me, um, Ed Boyer, who was also in the Double Degree program, who was also in the Beelzebub's as music director uh, 11 years after me, I think. Oh. Um and uh, he has become the preeminent audio uh, engineer and producer for many acapella recordings, including he does all the mixing for Pentatonix. So he works right alongside me. It's not just me there. And uh, so Rebel Wilson, um, she's so fun. Uh, she came in and she was singing Turn the Beat Around and uh, in, in the scene in Pitch Perfect 1. And so she's singing her part, Turn the Beat Around. And... Um, it just there was nothing she could do to make it funny, and and I was like rebel 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 this this isn't working. Uh, can you be more wild? Can you be more you know play and and every time it just didn't really work. And I was like, okay, let's say you're out singing karaoke. How would you do it? And she went turn the beat around like they're like <laughs> over the top like Australian accent. And I was like, that's it. That's perfect. And she was like, well, Deacon, I'm supposed to be American in this movie. And I was like. Wait a minute. And I just ran to the director and I like opened up his door. Like, is Jason? He was, yeah. I said, can, um, can Rebel's character be Australian in this movie and like sing and speak with an Australian accent? He was like, yeah, fine, whatever. I was like, great, thanks. And ran back there and I was like, okay, let's do this. And ever since then, having Rebel Wilson in the recording booth is like a tornado. So, so in the Pitch Perfect movies, there's a character named Benji, who is Benji. partly based on you. So yep. c- can you describe Benji and then tell me what parts are you and what parts aren't? Okay. So Benji was a character created from the nonfiction book Pitch Perfect, which was written about three different acapella groups, one of them being the Beelzebubs, and also has a chapter about me and my role in these days of integrating vocal percussion and starting the competition that is in the movie Pitch Perfect, which is a real competition. However, I will uh, assure any listener out there that I had zero Star Wars posters in my room, and I've never done magic tricks. I am <laughs> just a normal acapella nerd, not an acapella slash Star Wars slash mu- magic nerd. Um, but it was really cute because uh, when Ben Platt heard this, like he came up to me and was like, dude, I'm Am I you? 
And I was like, I don't do magic tricks. Um, <laughs> and Ben Platt is the, just the most delightful, wonderful human being on earth. Like he, he is, he, his actual personality is not a character or an exaggeration. I've never seen him in a bad mood. I've never seen him be anything but gracious and sweet and kind, which is why I think so many people uh, connected with his performance in Dear Evan Hansen and, and just love him. Because he is incredibly lovable. So looking ahead, what is next for acapella? Are we going to be seeing you know, more original songs for acapella groups? Or what's the exciting stuff that you're seeing? I think all of it. So th- the big push early on was like, how do we figure out how to use our voices in this way and, and, and create music that's compelling and as full as current popular you know, instrumental music with just our voices? So once we unlock that and figure it out, okay, now how do we popularize this? How do we get it out there? And we've had television. We've had movies, you know, both scripted and unscripted between Glee and, and the sing-off. And, and, okay, so, like, that's there. And then how do we popularize specific groups to get them out there? And then YouTube comes along, and, and we're able to, like, get all those groups out there. So now there are a lot of pro groups, and there's a way for younger groups to get out there. And, um, and that's exciting. Plus, so many college acapella groups and now high school groups and even middle school groups. Now there's some incredible middle school groups. I get like 12 to 14 year olds. Uh, you know, each week I'm in a different festival and I'm working with different people and I'll often on my Facebook page just like post these videos and they'll get so many views because people are like, can you believe these are middle, these are 12 year olds up there and they're singing, you know, uh, some current pop song and it's just stunning. Um, I think for me, the thing that I want to spend the rest of my life doing, and look, if the media calls, I'm not going to say no. You know, somebody says, we want to do a film score and it's all acapella. I'm there because mm-hmm. no one's ever done that before. Just like the first acapella musical on Broadway. So much fun and a great way to popularize and, and continue to push the boundaries. But what I want to do is to get people, people singing, not professional musicians, people, community choirs, individuals who stopped singing when they were in, in school and now they're empty nesters and they're looking for something to do. Um, school programs like, well, we don't have a lot of money, you know, in their city or, you know, we're a rural school and, and we just don't have the funding for, you know, all these instruments and stuff. I'm like, great, you don't need instruments. You need one person and a pitch pipe. Let's go. You know, let's do this. <laughs> and um, I, anytime someone's starting a new program, I send them free arrangements. If you're listening to this, you're starting a new group, you're starting what you want, whatever, I will send you music for free because I want to help you get started. I want it. First one's free. It's like, <laughs> I'm the dealer. I'm the acapella dealer. Um, but, but the world really does become a more harmonious place when people sing together. And you find people who are on different sides of the ideological spectrum, the political spectrum, social spectrum, and they... They, they not only connect with each other and change their own relationships, but then when they're in front of people, they change the perception of it. Um, Memphis is is still a very segregated town, and it's a town with a, a number of problems that that stem from civil war and reconstruction, never completely you know creating any kind of of, of equality. And there's a group that I helped create there called Delta Capella, and the person who started it went to Harvard and loved a cappella, and he wanted to keep singing. And uh, he's a jeweler there and, and very successful. And he took like – and when we cast this group initially, it was like we'll take this person who's right out of college and we'll take this person who, you know, flips fries and, and burgers and we'll take this person who was homeless last month. And their group looks like Memphis. And their members are often ranging from 19 to 75 in age and literally cut across – all races and backgrounds. Put on my blue suede shoes and I boarded the plane. Touchdown in the land of the It's great that they're all friends and they get together and, and do weekend retreats and whatever, but it's even more powerful when they go out into Memphis and they sing songs because they say something about 
community and society that you can talk about and write articles about and make movies about all the time. But when you see it in actuality with real people, that's when it sends a deep, powerful message. And, and, and they said time and again, they get that comment from people like, wow, I had tears in my eyes watching you singing up there. It's the dream that I've had for this town for the past 50 years. And finally, for the first time, I've seen it coming true. So this question might be a little hard. Mm. Um, can you tell me something not related to acapella? <laughs> that... no, nope, I can't. That's it. Sorry. <laughs> no, of course. Yeah, of course. <laughs> can you tell me something that people might not know about you? Ooh. Um, well, let's see. Uh, I like to create in a lot of different ways. So I love cooking and I love gardening. Um, I do love to read also. Uh, I read up to about 90 books a year, constantly reading and learning um, because I want to know more about the world. And the more I understand about the world and about people and about society and about culture and psychology and physiology and all that, the better I am able to help reach them through music. If I were to put you on the spot, Okay. And say, and you just sing one song right now, a favorite song. Oh. What would you sing? Oh, well, uh, when I'm on the Tufts campus, there's only one song I would ever want to sing. Tuftonia's Day. <laughs> Steady and true, rush along, brown and blue, raise a mighty score today. Come on, sing along, everybody, you know it. Come on. And in fact, that's one of the things that, that I uh, rail against because 100 years ago, everybody knew that song because everybody sang. And now nobody knows it unless you're in one of the acapella groups on campus and you get sing it at you know, orientation or an alumni event. Um, and so part of what I'm really trying to do is get back to a world where everybody will know the school fight song and be able to sing it together. So two, three, four. T-U-F-T-S. Come on, everybody. T-U-F-T-S. T-U-F-T-S. Deke Sharon, thank you so much for talking with us today. It is my pleasure to be here. It's so great to be back. Go Jumbos. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Tell Me More. Please subscribe and rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. And to be the first to hear about new episodes, please follow Tufts University on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We'd also welcome your thoughts on the series. You can reach us at tellmemore at tufts.edu. That's T-U-F-T-S dot E-D-U. Tell Me More is produced by Katie McLeod Strollo, Anna Miller, Eugene Kong, Dave Nusher, and Stefan Hacker. This episode's introduction was written by Julie Flaherty. Web production and editing support provided by Taylor McNeil. Special thanks to Amanda Rowley and the Tufts Music Department. Our theme music is sourced from DeWolf Music, and my name is Patrick Collins. Until next time, be well. <laughs>